Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Only Podcast. I am your co-host, Austin Smith, joined, as always, by your other co-host, John Kirby. You can find us on Twitter at ACSmith06 and at John underscore Kirby. Today is uh, Tuesday, January 5th, 2021. And, John, Happy New Year. First and foremost, let's start there. Let's start with the good stuff. 2020 is over, yeah, uh, and 2021 is here. Who knows if that's going to be a good thing or not? I think it's going to be a great thing. And just so you know, as a good luck charm for this podcast, I'm recording with the baby on my lap. So there's no no way there's going to be crying. And definitely, at the very least, no barking from a dog that will wake her up. Because that never happens on this podcast. For sure. For sure. Well, good... Good to hear from you, baby Kirby. Um, it's a pleasure as always. Uh, but yeah, John, so it's 20, 2021 now. 2020 is over. Uh, and it looks like, well, let's just, let's jump right in. Okay, so let's just, let's, let's so just jump right in. Let's jump in because Michigan State men's basketball, women's basketball undefeated in 2020, yeah. 2021 season. Men's basketball also undefeated in 2021. What else could you ask for? Have Two you, and else. Have you considered the fact that we've left the badness behind us? And <laughs> folks, we're not going to worry. We're not going to waste time and ruin your day with how the <laughs> Wisconsin, Minnesota, and frankly, even the Nebraska win went. But we are going to talk heavily on the takeaways from it and what has to happen moving forward. Is that a fair thing, Austin, or do you want to uh-huh. jump you really want to? I don't. I don't think we need to rehash any of these in particular. The so let let's jump into the takeaways, and we can pick apart little parts that we yeah. we think we need to because it's been a a pretty weird four game stretch. Go as far back as Northwestern, which the Sarahs uh, dissected for you, our good listeners. Um, and actually, before we go any further, we should thank them. Shout out to the Sarahs, as always, for taking care of us uh, and doing their their yearly podcast. Maybe we'll make it more often this year. Who knows? Put twenty twenty on this podcast on a high note with them finishing it off. So that's absolutely, great. absolutely. Um, but even since then, obviously, MSG went on a three game losing streak and then came back and, and beat Nebraska two three nights ago. Um, yeah. So so coming coming out of that. I, I think they're the mood around the program is not good, even after that win against Nebraska. And I think it's interesting because every year I think MSU goes through one of these stretches. If you remember, they went on the road and got blasted by Purdue last year, lost by almost 30 points to a very middle of the road Purdue team. It's, it seems like you, you get a little stretch like this 
every year. But I think, you know, in and of itself, a loss to a top 10 Wisconsin team is not really something to get super concerned about. A road loss against a, a top 20 Minnesota team, again, not something you that might jump out at you. Wait, Austin, um, Austin, Austin. I just want to like, I can't believe, what a year. Minnesota, a top 20 team. A, a yeah. Patino-led Minnesota team who, frankly, dude, honestly, looked competent. Like that wasn't – that didn't feel fluky. No, that did not feel fluky. I mean, and again, going back to Northwestern, that's a top 20-ranked team. Those three things in and of themselves, I don't think as separate events throughout a season would really ring too many alarms in, in my head. However, when they're back-to-back-to-back, and the issues stemming from each of them is a little bit different. That's when I start to get worried because that's when you have to really look in the mirror and say, okay, it, where are these problems coming from? Are these matchup problems that each of these teams present or, you know, is this an internal situation? And I think coming out of those games and after this Nebraska win, John, you and I were talking about it. I think the issues might be here and certainly were before Nebraska that the playing group that Michigan state puts out there on a night to night basis is a flawed group. Now don't misconstrue that and think not talented because it is definitely a talented group. Make no mistake, a very talented group, but right now the puzzle pieces don't fit together. And John, I know we had a few ideas as to things um, that needed to be done some that already have been done that could hopefully help change some of that, that mix. So, yeah. Thanks for the alley-oop. Good start yeah, to 2021. Here. So, so I think what we need to consider is this team is just a bad defensive team overall. Like there's no two ways about it. So I think there are a lot of places you can point and look at, but top to bottom, this is one of the worst defensive teams we've seen uh, in quite a while. Um, frankly, their defensive rating is 102.7, which checks in at 251st of 335 teams. They can't check the ball. They can't check ball penetration uh, specifically. And um, Austin, I think one of the areas that was really a big watch out for me was, you know, it's a, a long MSU super fan joke that, you know, every year some nobody goes off on Michigan State um, and you just say, what the hell? That was dumb. Evan Eschmeyer, Taylor Battle, oh, God. you know, um, names that pop to the top. Well, unfortunately, this year, it's not um, a fluke. It, it happens nearly every game. I'm going to go very quickly through, but um, I went back and there have been, uh, there were two players on Eastern Michigan who had their season high against Michigan State. Uh one from Duke, two from Detroit, one from Western Michigan, three from Oakland, one from Northwestern, one from Wisconsin, and one from Nebraska. All had season highs against Michigan State. And with the exception of Titus Wright from Western Michigan, every single one of them was a guard. Every single one of them was primarily defended by Rocket Watts and Josh Langford. So you can do with that what you would like. But there's, there is very little. You look behind, you say, okay, are you going to play Foster Lawyer? He is physically deficient. The obvious 
choice here is continue to do what you're doing and this is going to keep happening. It's going to keep happening. Or you say, can AJ Hogard do better? And that's where Tom Izzo is at. I mean, that, that's the long and short of it at the guard position, because frankly, not only from a defensive standpoint, is it a problem offensively? I'm not seeing a ton from rocket Watts um, that can't be replaced. And you might say to yourself, well, okay, slow down, John, because he's uh, first in assists on the team and, and uh, you know, he, he scores at a pretty reasonable rate. Yeah, that's true. But if you consider it, that his assist per turnover ratio is lower than foster lawyers, if you consider that his effective field goal percentage is dead last on the team, if you consider that he's seventh on the team in three-point percentage, eighth on the team in free throws attempted, last on the team in rebounds per 40 minutes, last on the team in steals per 40 minutes. I mean, at a certain point, the guy's just disinterested in, in the part of the game that doesn't involve him shooting. So yeah, it's got to change. I was just going to say, I, I think it, there could be something with rocket too, where one side of the ball affects the other. I mean, I was, uh, you know, we, Cassius Winston last year offensively was the thing that commanded the most attention, if not all of the attention from the opposing defenses. Well, that safety blanket is now gone. Now that defense, when, when rocket Watts is running the point is now concentrating its full energy on him. And when you look around the rest of the starting five, listen, Joey Hauser is a very good player. He's not a dynamic with a dynamic slashing guy with the ball. Uh, Aaron Henry had, had a great game against Nebraska, but he is um, volatile to say the least. So now not only is Rocket getting all the attention from the defense on the other side of the ball, he's got to guard the best guard from the other from the other team most nights. And now you listed off all of those season highs teams have had against MSU. That's not all coming against rocket, but enough of it is to make you wonder if his defense is being affected by his offense or kind of vice versa. So I think the answer here, and you started to see it against Nebraska, you've heard a lot of things in the media about it uh, is just to let AJ Hogard be the point guard. And again, Ideally, this isn't your true freshman that you're throwing in here in the middle of the season to try to be the starting point guard. Ideally, this is the junior that's been in the program who you feel really good about. Like you said, Foster Lara has physical stuff that he just simply will never be able to overcome. He's never going to be more than what he is right now. And we shouldn't be mad about that. I think he's more now than a lot of people thought he was ever going to be, which is a functional 10 to 12 to 15 minute a game player who can contribute a little bit on offense. You can't be mad about that. But A.J. Hogar has got to take over the, the bulk of the point guard minutes. And I have to say, I, I know I've said it on this show before several times, I think there is a very real chance that by the end of the season, A.J. Hogar is much more than a uh, fill-in caliber type of player. When you watch him go, I mean, well, first of all, he's, he has the physicals that Foster Lawyer can't, can't match. I mean, he's every bit of 6'1", 6, six he's probably every bit of 6'2". He's big. Burley, I mean, when he gets in, in even better shape in the next couple of years, he's going to be a big time problem in, in the Big Ten. He's got what Rocket doesn't have um, in terms of instincts with the ball. When you watch him out there, it's incredible how much better the ball moves. 
uh, I mean, it, it does not get stuck in one person's hands. There are fewer step back jumpers. You get a lot more just those standard horn sets, uh, guys moving and getting open shots. I mean, you know, if you talk specifically about the Nebraska game, there was a point in which Nebraska had cut the lead to th- to five. I think it was with under, uh, you know, seven or eight minutes left after being mm-hmm. down 17 and Hogard responded by driving to the rack, felt his, uh, felt the defender who was checking, I think it was Thor Bjornsson who was checking Gabe Brown in the corner, come down and close on him a bit. Logically, quickly, easily found Gabe Brown in the corner for a three that kind of gave MSU that breathing room, which ultimately allowed them to win the game by only seven. Um, it's just those natural point guard instincts that Rocket simply doesn't have, and he has the physicals that Foster doesn't have. Is it going to be pretty the rest of the way? No, absolutely not. But Hoggard, Hogard, Hoggard, whatever you want to call him, <laughs> he needs he needs those minutes, and you have to just hope that um, he's going to be good enough. And the the safety blanket that you have is that listen, if you want to play Rocket at the one in closing time, be my guest. If you want to spell him with Foster throughout the game, you can definitely do that. But I think the answer here is pretty obvious, and this is really just. You know, uh, this is one of the things that you and I talked about coming into the year. This rotation and the way this roster was built was weird. And without some adjustments by some people, things like this were going to have to happen. The The requisite adjustments were not made. And I think Tom Izzo is doing what he has to do. It's making the decision. The other side, as you've seen, uh, the five spot was never solved. Marcus Bingham has since been taken out of the rotation. Um, as of the Nebraska game, Thomas Kiff here um, ate up a ton of those points. I, I will say the um, the announcers, Big Ten Network announcers, were maybe over gushy about Thomas Kiff here. <laughs> uh, that is not to say he didn't deserve a lot of credit. He he played very well. He played exactly what he needed to do. That's unfortunately, apparently, the best we can get out of the five spot right now. And that's not to say that Julius Marble maybe should see more minutes. Maybe Maddie Sissoko needs more minutes. Um, those those will come. Trust me on that. Because um, once Nebraska is one of the half the teams in the league that doesn't have a dominant big man that, can, that you put on the post or on the block, um, there will be multiple teams uh, that run their offense through the post, you will see. And Maddie Sissoko and Julius Marble will be called upon because, like Foster Lawyer, Thomas Kiffier, um, to no you know, <laughs> fault of his own, is physically uh, incapable and is being asked to do a lot as a 6'8", you know, 215 pounds generously guy. <laughs> so, yeah. so those guys will come. Um, how, that, how that fits, I don't know. But we do know is Marcus Bingham's essentially done. And yeah, and that's that. And, you know, and that's fine. Uh, to be honest with you, I think it's, it's in, I don't have anything against Marcus Bingham. He seems like a really nice kid. He seems like a great energy dude. I mean, his, his antics on the bench are, you know, a great thing for the team, but he has progressed. He has regressed in his three years at Michigan state. And there are some people out there that are saying, well, if he just received the minutes, he started half the games last year. He started almost all of the games last year. Dude got 15 minutes tonight, didn't do a whole lot with it, had every opportunity and every reason to be the starting five this year, wasn't unable to do it. 
all this tells me is something's going on behind the scenes. He's not, all he has to do is defend adequately well, because one of the things this team doesn't do is block shots. And if there's anybody in here that should be blocking, honestly, three shots a night, it's Marcus Bingham. Now, knowing the reality of the situation, he's not going to get those opportunities. And honestly, in the coaches' minds, they got to be looking with an eye towards the future. And that eye should fall on Matty Sissoko. When he got seven minutes the other night, didn't attempt a single shot, two blocks. Right then and there, he's already giving you more value than Marcus Bingham is going to give you on most nights. And that is especially important with this team because this team, when you're starting five, is A.J. Hogard, Josh Langford, Aaron Henry, Joey Hauser, and Thomas Kithier. That lineup is blocking very, very few, if any, shots. Of that starting five, Hogard had two blocks. He was the only one with a single block. Or no, excuse me, Aaron Henry had one as well. But point is, you don't have a Xavier Tillman. You don't have a Jaron Jackson. You don't even have a, a Miles Bridges or a Nick Ward or these names that we're so used to. Adrian Payne, these names we're so used to hearing uh, on the defensive end from Michigan State. That doesn't exist on this roster with the exception of Maggie Sissoko and maybe a little bit of Julius Marble. Well, um, so I want to expand ahead. on that. I want to expound on that really quickly because if there's only one thing that Marcus Bingham can do, it's use his length to alter or deflect shots. In my, in exactly. my opinion, his biggest area of weakness and the reason he simply cannot play is he has an aversion to the basketball as it relates to rebounding. Mm-hmm. It's it is un, unacceptable when you are the tallest person on the floor, longest arms to not be all over uh, every uh, bounce off the rim. And in not only is he, I don't know if it's disinterested or uh, maybe just doesn't have a nose for it. Uh, who knows what it is, but at the end of the day, he he's averaging as many, uh, I think I've said it before, he's averaging less uh, total rebounds per 40 minutes than AJ Hogarth. And Foster Lawyer. Well, that can't happen. Mm-hmm. You know, like that, That I mean, he's better than Foster, but I mean, Foster is like literally two feet shorter than him. It's just, <laughs> it's just like, how does this happen, guys? You know, and so I think that, you know, when you talk about an Izzo team, what do you need to do well, you know, to, to earn, to earn playing time? You need to be vocal. You need to, you, you don't even have to score. Thomas Kithier, you saw how many minutes he played. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. Are you? Do you have an? Are you? Are you boxing out? Are you talking on the back line? Are you rebounding? Like, do you care? Because that's where this team is at. Who wants to play? Rocket Watts didn't play against Nebraska. Lowest minute total. Mm-hmm. Do you want to play, Mark? And like, that's what Tom Izzo is challenging to him with. Like, here's what you need to do. It's simple. It, it, it's it's frustrating too because this team desperately needs what Rocket Watts and Marcus Bingham were supposed to bring to it, and that's an alpha on offense, a guy who's going to get his own shot, but also create for other people, and then a shot blocking five, somebody who's going to be that eraser on the back line. I mean, if those two guys are just able to live up to the potential that they have, that's one thing that hasn't changed about either of them. The potential's right; it, it's all there. It's just a matter of them pulling it together, and you know making it happen. And when they don't do that, this team is left without a ton of answers. I mean, if you look at, just look at the averages so far this year, I mean, you only have in college basketball, this is not a lot. You only got two guys averaging double digits. Now rockets right on the edge of it with 9.8 points a game. 
that is just not going to cut it. There is a difference between depth and then just a bunch of guys. And right now it just feels like a bunch of guys and there's no gear to make it all fit together. I, I'm not sure how much these averages will eventually increase. I don't know how many multiple, you know, double digit point per game guys you end up getting. But I think the the moral of the story is at this point, you need players, even if they are their the ceiling is potentially in the immediate future lower, you need guys that fit roles. And right now, AJ Hogard and you know the combination of Marble and Sissoko are going to fit the roles of point guard and rim running shot blocking five better than Marcus Bingham and better than Rocket Watts. And then in turn with that, I think you get a more confident, complete Rocket Watts uh, as, a, as a guy that's playing the two and more of that, that combo guard. The only thing, and, and that's just offensively, I, or I guess, I guess that's really on, on, on both sides of the ball, especially when it comes to the front court. The only thing that doesn't solve, and this is something that I think this is just a warp this team is going to have it does not solve your guard defense. Uh, AJ Hogard uh, is not a good defender at this point in his career. Now, again, true freshman, 10 games into his entire career, not a good defender. Foster Lawyer, we talked about him a ton. I think the real issue here is that this team needs more offense, and that's something Josh Langford can give them, but he cannot check anymore. He had this reputation somehow, which I never really understood of being a really good like on-ball defender. I never personally saw it. But these two years of foot injuries and all this time off have taken whatever defensive acumen he had and uh, scaled it back mm-hmm. uh, significantly. So now when you consider that, we've talked about this, you're not, you're not left with a ton of uh, – basically the rotation you had out there is just simply not going to work. Tom Izzo's biggest challenge right now, and and I think this is the reason why I actually am not in full panic mode about this team. It's because of Tom Izzo. Like Tom Izzo is a Hall of Fame coach for a reason, but he has a big task on his hands, and he is going to have to upset some people and and simply just say, guys, you know, like what he did to Marcus Bingham, like tough shit, guys. We're not going to win games if we're doing things the way that we're doing them. So he's if this team is going to improve, it is going to be because of. I mean, obviously, some guys will take bigger roles on on the floor, but it's going to be because Tom Izzo puts the right guys in the right spots at the right time. I mean, that's just what it's going to boil down to. And uh, I think, you know, he's got to get to it because you go, you start the league play 0-3, you uh, leave yourself very, very little time, especially when it's a really deep league like this year. I mean, I saw a bracketology this morning that had MSU as an eight seed, and I don't really think that that's unfair. And when you're already at an eight seed at this point in time, you, you know, you got to get going here pretty quickly. So, so that's a good point. And I think, I think we talked about it in pods past that, you know, Tom, Tom and are really, really good at when guys are young in their career, having them focus on one thing and have them be pretty good at it. And then you evolve your game from there. Um, certain guys haven't evolved their games from there. Does that mean that you abandon them or can you use them and just say, go out there and do the one thing you do really well? Two examples. One, Marcus Bingham. Can he guard the biggest, best post players with his length and be asked to only do that and stop thinking about everything else? Maybe that's when he plays again. I don't know. 
if you ask Rocket Watts to come off the bench, not run the offense and say, buddy, and this is, one, this is a, a reference for the very old heads, uh, listeners, be Vinny the microwave off the bench <laughs> of the bad boys of the Pistons. No job but to come off and just get buckets when Isaiah and Joe Dumars weren't playing. Like, don't worry about anything else. Maybe that's your role. That's your best. It's the play to your strengths, right? Stop trying to do things that you aren't good at because it's not working. We've seen it not work against capable teams. This team is currently three and three against decent teams. They beat Duke, mm-hmm. Notre Dame, and uh, I guess you I guess you want to give Nebraska the third. And they lost the other. They lost to Northwestern, you know, um, Wisconsin and Minnesota by a hundred. So, like, hey, I, I don't know what to say. They're three and three against teams that have a pulse. So, got something's got to change. And like you said, it's a deep league going against Rutgers, a team that Michigan State basketball has never lost to. Right. And frankly, while Vegas may have them as a as a uh, favorite, the computers do not. And and I don't want to say you have to be a must win a game five of the conference season, but I think this is certainly a grow up game. You know, it's a home game. Um, AJ Hogard got his first taste of real, like not just rotational minutes, like big boy minutes. What is what does that look like against a capable team, a top twenty five team? Yeah, has- a really good team. A really uh, listen. You uh, you put another name on this program, and it's not called Rutgers. If this is Indiana, if this if this is Indiana, you're talking. People are saying that this team's got a Final Four shot. Like that, and I'm not saying that they deserve that type of praise. Like, but that just shows you what I think. You know, a brand name can do for a team. Because make no mistake, this this is a very good. Rutgers team. I mean, their two losses are on the road at Ohio State and then at home by two against Iowa. They've beaten Illinois. They beat Syracuse, which, you know, who knows how good the Syracuse team that is. But this is this is not a this is not your uh father's Rutgers team. They've got four guys that average double digits, three of whom average over 15 points a game. Their top three scorers also all shoot over 40% from three. Uh, I mean, you're talking about a very, very good uh, program. I mean, the the number one uh, scorer on this team is Ron Harper Jr. Again, for the old heads out there, you definitely remember Ron Harper Sr. of the Bulls uh, and various other good teams. Um, He averages 22 a game, seven rebounds, two assists. Uh, and only turns he turns the ball over less than one time a game. I mean, this dude is is and shoots almost fifty percent from three. Uh, really good player. The other three good players, all guards: Jacob Young, Montez Mathis, Geo Baker. All like I said, average double digits. Um, all are over two rebounds and two assists a game as well. Uh, Jacob Young, I think though, is the one to me that is going to be the one to keep an eye on uh, against Michigan State. Um, you know, as we talked about, there's one guy that goes supernova. I would circle him as the most likely candidate because not only does he shoot over 43% from three, averages almost 16 points a game, five assists. Uh, the key to me is that he averages two and a half steals a game, which means mm-hmm. that this guy goes for the ball. Uh, and he's also probably going to end up defending 
AJ Hogard a, a decent stretch of this game. So like you said, AJ is going to have to be ready for big boy minutes and have to be ready for it against a good guard. Now where this game I think plays into MSU's hands is, is I don't think Rutgers is terribly different size wise from MSU. It's a lot of those sort of six, seven ish, six, eight ish and under guys. So from a rebounding a shot blocking perspective, it's not going to be, um, as critical as before i mean miles johnson is is their center and he does average eight and eight but um you know they're it's not going to be as critical for them to have uh you know the, those big shot blockers out there but make no mistake i i i realize it's early it's going to be january 6th when this game is played or excuse me january 5th it's tonight um i, I think this is this is a must win because if you go one and four, I mean, again, by starting one and three, you put yourself in a hole. You're going to have chances for for wins against ranked teams plenty of times this year and this year's Big Ten. But this is a winnable game against a ranked team at home. Like, I'm sorry. You, you, you got to start winning those games. If you want to have a realistic shot at getting yourself back into any type of discussion for the conference – and any type of top six, five to six seed, these are the types of wins that you want to have in your resume. And right now, if you look at Michigan State's resume, I mean, Duke is looking average. I mean, that win is not what people thought it was. Michigan State didn't have the chance to play Virginia, and they had you know three chances against ranked teams and went 0-3. So they need, they need to start adding up some resume-style wins. And believe it or not, Rutgers this year would definitely count in that category. Well, and it starts with starts with every the thing that must kill Tom is that this is just a bad defensive team. We've said it before. I'll say right. it again. You know, like it, the offense is frankly fine. Like it's not bad. They're averaging like eighty points a game. Like, True. It, it, it's fine. It, the, the, it comes down to and for, and the turnovers aren't even as egregious as they have been in the past. It's just like they just can't defend worth a damn. And at a certain point, it's like. Is this like we already talked about? People aren't going nuclear. Is is just the norm now because they get clean looks, you know? So, um, yeah, you're right. I mean, Rutgers, they're a beatable team. They're not. They don't have. I mean, Ron Harper Jr. is a really, really nice player, um, but he's not an All American. You know, like this right. is a team that you should look up and down the roster to roster and say Michigan State is. As good, like you said, this is a talented Michigan State team. They just don't play together very well. Um, mm-hmm. So I, you know, I hear you on uh, feeling like this is a must-win. But you know, for me, we're kind of—I don't want to say turning the page on this roster turnover. But I think I'm not saying you have to throw out their Michigan State seven and three record. I don't think that's fair. But I think you saw game one last week of mm-hmm. this rotation. Um, Will it work? I don't know. Uh, but this is game two of it, and it, it's a damn hard test. But I, I think that's where it's a little different. Um, so I, that's I'm fair. kind of excited to see what game two looks like with this rotation. So you touched on something that I think is actually important, and that's the turnovers. Well, you know, I agree with you. MSU is only averaging 13 turnovers a game, which is a pretty responsible number. You probably know the uh, where that falls nationally, obviously much better than I do, but I don't think the issue is the number of turnovers. The issue is where the turnovers are coming from. Aaron Henry and Joey Hauser are oh. averaging combined five turnovers a game. Aaron Henry has averages three. That's a lot. I know it doesn't sound like a lot, but three turnovers every single night out is way too many. 
and what it does by him not being able to um, reel that back in, you're limiting your offensive ceiling because Aaron Henry this year needs to be more of a creator. You saw what he was able to do against Nebraska. He was able to create and reel those turnovers in and not have it be egregious. But if he can't do that on a regular basis, he's going to limit what they can do offensively and really handicap a lot of things. And not only that, when he makes these turnovers, he's the best defender. So in probably the best chase down shot blocker, to be honest with you, outside of, I don't know, I, I suppose uh, Gabe Brown would probably disagree with that, but um He's turning the ball over, and it's turning into easy buckets on the other end. And when you're a team that already can't defend, you cannot afford to be doing things like that. And this actually leads me to a point that I I wanted to make, and I briefly spoke about it earlier, mentioned that MSU lost this opportunity. I really wish they would have had the chance to play Virginia. And now I know that sounds like very masochistic, but um, <laughs> the fact of the matter is, we would have understood a lot more of Michigan State's core issues had they had the opportunity to play Virginia. Because as anybody who's listening to this and has watched them before knows, Virginia is the best at exploiting another team's weaknesses and making you play their style of basketball. And their style of basketball requires no turnovers. In order to beat it, it requires no turnovers. It requires sound guard defense more than anything else on the defensive end. And then offensively, you got to make shots. Uh, And Michigan State has run into issues making shots, turning the ball over, and defending guards. And had they had the opportunity to play against Virginia, you know, at that point in time, they were riding real high. They had just beaten Duke. You had beaten Notre Dame. You're feeling really good undefeated. Uh, one of two things happens. You either, you know, continue to play well and maybe see that, Hey, we got to, we got to improve some of these things, but we're still feeling good. We, we beat another good team on the road or you get your ass kicked, which sitting here today is probably what would have happened. You get exposed and then you wake up before the big 10. And then maybe you don't end up going one and three, getting your teeth kicked in and getting caught. So off guard three times in a row, um, and uh, I don't know, I think maybe it just would have changed the early trajectory of this uh, Big Ten season and maybe brought to light some of these personnel issues that that they've had to grapple with uh, recently. So I know it sounds weird being like, hey, I wish they had played somebody so they could have lost, but it would have, I think, made it made this last stretch. Uh, I'll put it this way. I would have been surprised if they would have lost their first three te- games in the Big Ten after playing a, a good Virginia team. Yeah, I think you, you just would have started your game one of this weird rotation a bit earlier, right? So, um, yeah, which is, you know, it is what it is now, right? And, and like, you know, Rutgers is going to be a tough test. Um, you know, Purdue is not the Purdue of years past. This, this is, uh, but this is a team that you feel like you almost have to beat. Um, yeah. If, if, and I don't even know. Are you have we recalibrated the goals for the? I don't know if we're at that point yet, but um, certainly if you're in have any illusions of, of a fourth straight, uh, you know, Big Ten title, you have to sweep this week. Like the absolutely, winner, the winner of the Big Ten conference this year, twenty games. You, it's a damn good conference. You could probably go fourteen and six. 
and have a shot at winning it because I don't think there's a runaway team as we've seen. Mm-hmm. Everybody can lose on any night. You've already given half of those away, you know. So you you have to to win these games, and you know Purdue is you know maybe not as good as years past. They're 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 fine, you know. They have tr- your boy Trevion Williams. Uh, Trevion, man, I've never you know I've I've always stand for Trevion Williams from from long long ago. For those <laughs> anybody who's listened to this podcast for multiple years knows my love for Trevion Williams. I've never wanted him more than I want him this year, man, because he's out there averaging a double-double and carrying this team on his back despite not shooting well from the free-throw line or shooting threes at all. He's just – he's an old-school big, but, man, is he – he is going to put a, a major test together for Michigan State's bigs. I'm I look at this – I'm not really worried about him either. I'm worried about Sasha Stefanovic because he's is. shooting over 50% from three and getting open against good teams. I mean, so to to me, I actually would say – that the game against Purdue is, if you don't want to call Rutgers a must-win, that's fine. Purdue's a must-win. MSU is much more talented than this team. And there's really no, and again, like you said, they're fine. They're not bad, but MSU is just simply more talented. And while, yes, they've got Trevion Williams, uh, Stefanovic is a nice player. None of these other names on here are guys that Michigan State should be overly worried about. This is not a game that they should lose, quite frankly, especially at home. Uh, and to your point, I don't think you can, in good conscience, flush the conference title hopes away at this point in time. Like you said, it's too good of a conference, and MSU is too good of a program historically, not even historically, last three years, um, to to go down that road yet. fact of the matter is, though, you lose either of these two games, and you can pretty much kiss a good night. I mean, there's really, you know, you, you can't sugarcoat it. You're going to be in the second week of January in – you're just, you know, trying to get seeding in the tournament. And th- and that's one thing. Uh, I'm very confident that Michigan's – I mean, people are out there already saying, is MSU going to make the tournament and stuff? Like, I-, I would urge all of you to just just maybe step away. Maybe skip Tuesday's game. Maybe just don't watch. Because if, you, if you're worried about them not making the tournament today, then I don't know where you've been in the last 20-plus years. Now – they lose one of these two games this week, or if they, especially if they lose both of them, everything's on the table. All questions deserve to be asked. Entire rotation can be pulled apart. There's no no favorite sons. Um, but sitting here at this point in time to say that you know you're worried about them making the tournament, yeah. Tom is still the head coach. Still a lot of talent on this team. But if they don't solve some problems here, and if they don't win both of these games this week, I, I, you know, my tune is gonna my tune is going to change for sure. Man, well, I wish I had your calm attitude uh, because it's chaos over here, sir. Uh, <laughs> absolute uh, burn it all down, scrap the program, uh, <laughs> as, you, as you know. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, I think these are games where, uh, you know, as we went from wondering if there was going to be a season to – Here's your season. And I want to get on the board, Austin, that at the beginning of the year, Coach uh, Krzyzewski of Duke threw out the idea of everybody should make the NCAA tournament. I, I might be for that. Yeah, I'm, I'm listening. I'm, I'm listening, listening, Mike. I'm, I'm considering the phone call. You know, I'm considering yeah. taking the meeting. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to take the meeting. I'm Let's just – Let's see how this week goes. Let's see how this week goes. 
And, you know, we'll yeah. see if we take the meat. <laughs> it's the safety net. It's like, listen, we'll buy the product. It's just a matter of, can we find, do we need it? Um, that, that's really what it boils down to. All right, dude. Do you have any more thoughts on hoops uh, or, or, or should we take a commercial break? Just win, baby. But no, let's go for the break. All right. First time in 2020. Here we go. Three, two, one. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Then we're back. I feel like we nailed it. Austin. So we have encountered a new part of NC college football that frankly, Michigan state has rarely dabbled in. Um, yes. And that is transfer portal season. Um, so, you know, we were thinking in the past, like, this is just a thing that happened in the world. We were aware of it. We never, you know, really hung out there it was a place i had heard of this year holy schmokes is there a lot of traction um both in and out of the program but before we get into those names let's go take a a journey down the past i don't know 20 years and (laughs) here are the four names we could think of that transferred it's, into the it's, it's insane. And, and one thing to keep in mind is the transfer portal was not a thing until how many years ago? You know, five, six, seven years ago. I mean, you could transfer. There you could still like transfer. People forget you could still transfer, but it was not the common currency that it is now. But it got me thinking and us thinking collectively. How many transfers has MSU even like had in? And, and like you said, John, we thought of four, four from the entire D'Antonio era. And I know there are some other little ones in here that we missed. But the four that jumped out at me, it's an interesting group. Because I think there were three that were really successful. And then the one that people were probably the most excited about yielded almost literally no results. So <laughs> you had if you had defensive end Trevor Anderson. Those of you who are old school D'Antonio fans might remember him as he transferred in from Cincinnati. I don't know if that counts, you know, because like yeah, he came with D'Antonio. Right, package deal. Yeah, it, it, it was in the paperwork. There's nothing we could do. <laughs> um, the next ones were listen to these three programs: Brian Linthicum, tight end from Clemson. Let's think about that for a second. Well, that uh, was pre. That was pre-Clemson. That was when Clemsoning was still a thing. For those exactly. of you who might remember Clemsoning, they were at one point in time. It's going to be weird. You're going to tell your kids, uh, "Yeah, Clemson used to choke all the time before they were, they same were old juggernaut." Chart. Oh yeah, big time. Absolutely, they were. It was just Clemson. No, um, and then there was DeAnthony Arnett, the wide receiver who actually was from Michigan and went to Tennessee, had a freshman All-American year, transferred to MSU, did absolutely nothing. And then Keith Nickel, the, again, another kid from Michigan who ended up going to Oklahoma and losing his starting quarterback job to Sam Bradford. 
Some of you may have heard of him. Um, the former number one all, overall pick, Heisman winner. Nickel eventually transfers back to MSU, loses his starting quarterback job to Kirk Cousins, currently still in the NFL, uh, and instead as a wide receiver, ends up having you know some absolute signature moments. I mean, his, his name will be forever etched in, in Michigan State lore as a wide receiver, but um, those were like the ones I could remember. Now, like you said, I think there are others in there somewhere, but like, listen, the point of the, the, the fact of the matter is this year alone, so far in the past handful of weeks, we've already matched that same number of, of transfers into Michigan State. And they're probably all going to start <laughs> on next year's team. Pretty insane. So the four names of people that are coming in, and then we will talk about those who have left because there's some interesting tidbits to pick up there. Uh, quarterback Anthony Russo from Temple. Running back Harold Joyner from Auburn. Offensive tackle Jarrett Horst from Arkansas State. And defensive end Drew Jordan from Duke. It, it is. It would. I'll put it this way. It would... Very, very, very much surprised me if you're not talking about at least at least two of these guys starting from day one next year. And it will not surprise me at all if all four are in your opening day uh, lineup next year. I mean, it. <laughs> we, this, like I said, this is just new to us. You know, we're, just, we're, <laughs> we don't um, know. Um, you know, we I can, think it's great, though. I uh, think we, it's great. I think it's great. I think, you know, a lot of Michigan State fans, um, when you hired Mel Tucker, one of the things people were excited about was that he's, he was bringing Michigan State into kind of the modern era of collegiate football. I love Mark D'Antonio. He did some amazing things for Michigan State. Very possible will forever be the best coach that Michigan State ever has. It's very possible. And that's okay because he did some amazing, amazing things. But his approach was very 90s, very early 2000s, very just get guys and rely on our coaches to make them better. Mel Tucker has uh, disagreed with that approach, I think it's fair to say, and is now going after not X's. It's Jimmy's and Joe's, not X's and O's. That's mm -hmm. what and we all know about the height and the weight, the Colton Pouncey phenomenon. Um, but he's looking to completely transform this roster and is not waiting for his own recruiting classes to do so. He is going and proactively getting upperclassmen guys with multiple years of eligibility remaining uh, and bringing them in to contribute right away. And I think it's, it's genius. And it's again, something we're all a little bit uncomfortable with maybe, but I think from a roster construction standpoint, what he's doing is really, really intelligent. And I don't think that he's, done with it but it, it's just funny to me to look at the guys that he's bringing in realize oh he just found four new starters in essentially in free agency well um, you're totally trade. right it's an extension of the signing day but <laughs> but they can actually play on day one because they're physically right. ready <laughs> like and that's just it these are dudes that have all played a lot of college football too it's exciting yeah so do you want to go through those folks or do you want to save that for a rainy day yeah, I mean, we'll always come back to them, but I think um, I'll just go through kind of what they each mean and, and really where you can expect to see them. I, we'll start with the quarterback, Anthony Russo out of Temple, um, guy who started for multiple years for Temple. Um, only issue with him is he threw a lot of interceptions, but this guy has a, a really nice deep ball. 
Uh, he is actually rated in next in terms of next year's eligible quarterbacks um, in some services, you know, near the top ten, if not in the top ten. So uh, some real, basically, you're you're bringing what at least looks like a Big Ten quarterback to the table, a guy who can make throws at multiple levels. Um, I think if nothing else, it was really important to bring in somebody to compete with Anthony Russo, especially after. Well, not after. I think this kind of caused it. But Rocky Lombardi, obviously leaving the program, going to Northern Illinois, it was clear he wasn't the answer. So bringing in somebody who you think could be the answer to push Peyton Thorne was really smart because the idea here now is, listen, there are a couple scenarios here. If Anthony Russo wins the job, great. He's there for one year as the starter, and yep. then you're, you're probably turning things over to, to Hamp Fay or – um, whatever true freshman quarterback you're bringing in the next year, you, you lean into the Mel Tuck, the true Mel Tucker era of quarterbacks really begins at that point, or he loses the job to Peyton Thorne. And then you've got another starter. Then you got a starter for the next four years because Peyton Thorne will keep his freshman eligibility. He'll be redshirt freshman again next year. That's a win-win because you either say, okay, Thorne's not the guy. Let's, let's get ready for the next dude. Let this guy play for a year, see what happens. Or, Hey, look, we found our next "quote unquote" franchise quarterback. There's no losing in that in in that in that scenario in my mind. So, I think that was a really smart move. Well, the next one. It, well, wait. The only way a quarterback competition is bad is if you don't decide on one before the season Correct. starts. So, I'm all about quarterback competition. Let's just make sure that uh, you know Mel Tucker. I hope picks a guy and rolls with it. Um, rather than yeah. the Dan well, model. I, I mean, uh, we saw nothing this year to make us think that's that that's not something he's going to do. I mean, he gave Rocky every single last opportunity to be yeah. good. It wasn't until he threw like seven interceptions in three games that he turned it over to uh, Thorne. And then he went back to Rocky. So I think he's going to pick a guy and he's going to go with it. So I agree with you. And not that worried about that. Um, next guy is Harold Joyner, running back from Auburn. Another huge position of need for Michigan State because in college football, you need more than one good running back. And Michigan State simply didn't have that on the roster. You saw when Jordan Simmons went down, um, you know, with Anthony Williams hitting the transfer portal. He's now at Akron. Um, I, again, my, my favorite big boy, uh, <laughs> Connor Hayward, just not a natural running back. There just wasn't an answer. Now, Harold Joyner is not just an answer. He's probably going to be good enough to start. This is a former four-star recruit who who is one of those off-the-bus dudes where you're like, whoa, that is that is a big, big-time football player. And a guy that a lot of Auburn fans were really upset. Uh, Gus Malzahn kind of ran out of town. They didn't uh, – it was a very negative reaction from Auburn faithful uh, when it came to losing him. So um, really exciting guy. I played a lot of like weird kind of split out receiver for Auburn. So comfortable catching the ball. We saw, uh, you know, MSU likes to throw the ball to their running backs. Jay Johnson likes to do that. So Joyner going to be very involved. And now you've got a two headed monster of Simmons and Joyner. Those are two weapons, a sophomore Simmons and a, and this, this guy that MSU just simply didn't have a year ago. And for yeah. a team that wants to run the ball and set up play action and throw the ball to creatively to running backs out of the backfield, it's an ideal weapon. Yeah, the dude is 6'4", 231. I mean, he's just <laughs> that's he passes the Mel Tucker uh size test. Oh. Yes. Um 
his freshman, so those two very exciting. Yeah, he played he played at Auburn, and then like you said, for whatever reason last year uh, he didn't. Um, so he played in every game the year prior. It's kind of weird. Um, so hopefully, uh, you know, Mel Tucker can get the most out of him, or at the very least, what um, Auburn couldn't. Absolutely. And the next guy I think is a really, uh, arguably maybe the best pro prospect of the three of these guys, and that's Jarrett Horst, the offensive tackle from Arkansas State. Uh, you might hear Arkansas State and not be all that excited about it. But if you look at the schools that reached out to him when he became a quote unquote free agent, I know Texas and Oklahoma were both in that group. And I believe there are some other big, big name schools that were chasing him. So this was one of the bigger names available. And MSU was able to get him at a huge position of need. I mean, you're a starting left tackle in college football is as good as gold. Uh, and with AGR Curie, maybe not coming back. And also, frankly, not being that elite level tackle Horst is everything that you could, you could hope for again, passes the Mel Tucker size test um, has tons of experience from Arkansas state. And his film is pretty darn impressive. Um, he, again, if any of these guys are going to be a starter and I had to put my money on any of them, I'd put it on Horst. I mean, you, listen, if our Curie does come back, you're talking about a really nice set of bookend tackles with him. Uh, and you probably shift our Curie over to the right side. If not, you're talking about him and maybe Spencer Brown, a big, exciting project tackle who I think is kind of ready to go. And if he is what he is, you know, has been in his career, uh, you know, you've got an experienced middle of the line, which has actually been pretty good for Michigan State historically. Plus, um, you know, maybe our Curie or Brown over on that other side plus a couple of good young running backs. I mean, you see the seeds of an exciting offense um, kind of coming to life. So Horse, to me, honestly, of, of all these guys, even Russo included, is is potentially the most impactful get. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you said, it's a, you don't really know <laughs> the names might, or excuse me, the school might not, you know, jump out to you, but you got to kind of trust Mel on this one. Um, this is, this is kind of what, this, this is a position of need, and, and he was able to, at the very least, get somebody who can compete for the starting job right out the gate. And that's all you can really ask for at this late hour. Absolutely. Um, and that's that's a big deal. The final one here is Drew Jordan, uh, defenseman from Duke. He's coming over as a redshirt senior. So, again, a big experience guy. Honestly reminds me of the Trevor Anderson uh, transfer where, you know, hey, there's no such thing as – too many pass rushers. I mean, we yeah. saw it last year with, <laughs> with MSU. Um, Jordan probably going to, if he doesn't start, he's going to slot in a very early part of that playing rotation. But now, again, with especially with Jacob Panashuk coming back, Andrew Beasley, honestly, both of those guys are coming back next year. Huge wins for MSU from a depth perspective. Those two, Michael Fletcher and Drew Jordan, again, you're not talking, you're not Ohio State. You're not Bama. You're not this elite group those are functional pass rushing bodies to me from what you've seen from MSU in the recent past, that's a win. Uh, so again, another great depth piece, potentially even a starter, uh, certainly a guy who's you know experienced that can help the culture if nothing else. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, this is these four, um, maybe there will be, be more as, as the, uh, off season, I would ex time. I would expect more. I, I'd be I personally would be willing to say that there's, um, I think there's at least two 
maybe three, depending on how they can uh, move the roster around in terms of like how many players you can bring on in one off season. I would say as many as, as four, because, you know, these are all four really important positions for Michigan state. But if you look at the guys that left, you already were working with kind of an undermanned secondary and you had Davion Williams and Chris Jackson, both transfer guys that, you know, Chris Jackson was playing quite a bit for a while um dom long has not announced whether he's going to use his extra year of eligibility or not either way wasn't necessarily a guy who was you know playing lights out but um you are in if you look at the roster right now it's passable okay it's not great but the areas that really are alarming still are that secondary is real thin even with the big freshman classes coming in and at linebacker um, you're going to be relying on a lot of young players. And f- quite frankly, I would personally really like an upgrade over Noah Harvey. So uh, <laughs> not, to, not to call him out, but he's just not great. So I would l- think that they are probably targeting a linebacker and a couple more players in the secondary if they can get them. Um, and honestly, I wouldn't be shocked if they uh, got a receiver along the way too, um, especially with Trayvon Morgan leaving uh, just today, announcing he is going to be going into the transfer portal. So um, it's exciting. I mean, this is, this, this is kind of wild <laughs> to see this amount of turnover in one season. I mean, 14 different players have put their name into the portal for Michigan State this year. That is, that is wild. Um, but listen, Mel Tucker said he was going to come in and he was going to put together a, you know, a, a big time program and he's, he's acting like he's living up to the hype so far. So it'll be very fun to see how this continues over the rest of the offseason. Well, Austin, you said, you know, quickly 14 guys are taken off and, you know, maybe one was a surprise so far in Trayvon Morgan, but um, I I think what might be of note is where these folks are transferring to. And we really wish them well and hope they have all conference careers and maybe even get to chase a NFL dream. But I, I think it's um, a bit telling sometimes about where what schools are opening their doors or at least extending the offers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and to date, we've seen uh, MAC programs and uh, Memphis, uh, an American conference uh, programs, extend those offers, and and that's it. You know, perhaps Trayvon Morgan gets a little bit more love. I, I don't know. Um, but maybe not. I think, but then on the flip side, you see these folks like from Temple, Arkansas State, who are coming to Michigan State, they're kind of graduating, you know, to mm-hmm. a to a bigger program because they've proven it. It's a d- different of a transfer, right? So um, I just think that's interesting and worth pointing out. Yeah, I, I mean, I would agree. I think that's one of the things that, you know, Mark D'Antonio was never afraid to admit that he would take a three-star kid that he knew would work hard and develop into a great player over maybe a more talented guy. And these are the guys that came in and didn't develop. End of story. And now they're going to the programs where, like you said, I hope they can be great. I hope Julian Barnett and Devontae Dobbs kill it at Memphis. I'll be rooting for them the whole way. I hope Rocky Lombardi goes to Northern Illinois and starts every game. Just Lord Boateng and Anthony Williams, I hope they star for Akron. I hope Marcel Lewis is a stud at Central. But like you said, these guys aren't getting picked up by other Power 5 teams. And I think, to your point, uh, when Mel Tucker went through the roster, he saw – 
you know, and maybe put some of the writing on the wall for some of these guys. And um, it's not that shocking that that it's playing out this way. So we'll quickly talk about the National Signing Day, not necessarily all the names. There's plenty of offseason to do that. But I do think it's important to point out that Mel Tucker, in his first offseason class, pulled together a composite-ranked 33rd-rated team in the country. And considering um, he started in February of 2020, we think that's pretty damn good. And Mm -hmm. uh, more importantly than comparing him to the entire country, I think what's fair to do is compare him to his peers. And his peers are those who also started uh, as new coaches going into this um, football season. With that in mind, um, he beat the hell out of the only other coach that started in February, and that's Carl Durrell out of Broke Buff, Colorado. Um, (laughs) The average star rating is significantly higher than theirs, um, and they finished 59th in the in the country overall. Um, but, you know, Mel finishing behind Lane Kiffin, uh, Mississippi, Sam Pittman, Arkansas, Drinkwitz and Missouri, all SEC, by the way. And let's not even begin to pretend that there isn't some type of uh, inherent bias towards mm-hmm. uh, stars and those in the SEC programs. I'll leave that there. And not to forget, Florida State, headed up by Mike Norvell, and they also get the star treatment as well. So all things considered, with those programs plus Washington, um, I would consider a peer of Michigan State's overall. Um, Pretty good company. And and, and Mel Tucker uh, out-recruited Mike Leach, um, Jeff Halfley out of Boston College, Greg Schiano out of Rutgers, Dave Aranda out of Baylor, Nick Rolovich out of Washington State, and as I mentioned, Carl Durrell out of Colorado. So um, and all those guys, with the exception of um, Carl Durrell, all those guys got the, had the opportunity to at least have some folks on campus for uh, on-site recruiting visits. Mel Tucker did not. And he still finished, yeah. still finished sixth um, out of the whole out of the um, whole new coach carousel group. So uh, only better things to come from Mel. I'm really excited about that. Yeah, and at this point, you know, MSU does listen. They still do have the late signing day period to to lure another player or two. You know, there there are some big names out there that MSU is very closely tied to, um, and I know that doesn't take into account the uh, commits. I believe that they've gotten um, right from that transfer portal. So, no, and and not. I'm. And I'm looking at rivals right now, and I know you. We, we use different services sometimes. They're all the way up at number thirty in the rivals uh, rankings. So, um, and again, like I said, that's without Joiner, that's without Russo, that's without Horst, and that's without Jordan. Now, of course, that means the same thing to the other schools. But fact of the matter is, this team, from a talent level overall, is going to take a, a pretty substantial leap forward um, next year. And you know, I. I'll put it this way. I think, I think we've been through the worst of it. So get excited. Yeah. I mean, if you want to get really excited, go check out 2022 um, offer lists Mm -hmm. and that where Mel has already made inroads on, like not just off, you can offer anybody. Go, go to, we'll plug our buddies, Justin Thind and and, uh, Corey Robinson. Um, they, they're their go-tos for all things recruiting as far as I'm concerned for Michigan State. Period. There is some 2022 um, star power coming towards Michigan State, at least looks that way as of today. Um, and with the fluctuation and uncertainty in Ann Arbor, there's a lot of uh, open doors 
in the state of Michigan for the best kids. So, uh, and Mel's already made inroads with a lot of those guys. So get excited um, for that. And Mel has something to, to, to pitch and, and to recruit with, right? Like, Hey, I won last year, some pretty big games, beat our in-state rival, beat a, the big 10 West champion. And we have a lot of guys out of here and you can come in and play. I mean, there's so many things he can be pitching. It, it's really exciting. Big time. Couldn't agree more. It's ex- it's an exciting time. All right. Should we quickly go through the Big Ten Bowl schedule and then finish it out with the final game of the uh, football season, college football yep. season? Speed round. Here we go. Okay. Wisconsin beat Wake Forest 42 to 28. I remember my first time beating Wake Forest in a bowl game. So yeah. can do yeah. something. Do something cool. Iowa, yeah. Iowa, Missouri was canceled, and frankly, there was too much black and gold going on in that game. Uh, yeah, it's better this way. It's better this way. <laughs> um, Northwestern uh, boat raced Auburn 35 to 19. Um, how mad is Northwestern that they lost to us? If Northwestern had any fans, they would be so upset. But I don't think Julia Louis-Dreyfus cares about this. <laughs> and I'm not sure Stephen Colbert had the opportunity to watch the game. So, you know, to be honest sure. with you. Having bragging rights over Darren Ravel is one of the sweeter things in the world. So uh, you know it it feels good. I'm not going to lie. Indiana drops to Mississippi, twenty six to twenty. And if they hadn't already been confirmed the most cursed program in the country, it has been affirmed here. It just sucks. It just sucks. Like it's it has to suck so bad if you are a diehard IU football fan to know it's never going to get better than this. Like to go end up end up losing to an, a, a mid SEC team in a mid bowl game. I'm not sure how many times it's going to get better, and I feel terrible for them because with Michael Penix healthy, this was a very very good team. It's a team that took Ohio State to the brink, um, and yet, thus is the life of an Indiana football fan. So it's just, it's it's brutal. Begs the question, does Tom Allen stick around with this coaching carousel taking back up? I don't know, man. I I, I got to tell you, I if I was an intelligent, big P5 type team that was looking for a hot young coach, I would go calling. I would go calling real quick. I just, it's going to be tough, man. You got a lot to overcome with peeling him away from there. Personally, I hope he leaves because I'd like to get him out of the Big Ten in East so that we can just, you know, kind of get back to – Mm-hmm. Just eliminate one more roadblock. Um, but uh, it's he's only 50, excuse me, he's only 50 years old, and he's had a lot of success at a program that's really hard to have success at. So well, well, uh, he'd be a great hire for anyone. Here's my um, my advice to anyone, honestly, but, uh, but especially to those who have great resumes at the moment leave, take the money, go. Oh, yeah, big time. it. Look at PJ Fleck right now. He's not as hot as a name as he was. Mm-hmm. They had a losing record. They stunk. Yep. And all of a sudden, people are like, well, you know, PJ's name was, it was floated for like the big boy jobs, NFL jobs. Yeah. It's not, I mean, he's still a nice name, but it is not the hot name right now. No. You can go away as fast as it comes. That's, That's what the I'm moral saying. of the story. Okay. So the final uh, games here, the, the semifinals, um, Ohio State beat the living shit out of Clemson, forty-nine to twenty-eight. I gotta tell you, losing by forty doesn't feel so bad all of a sudden. 
Um, no. I would I would agree. Here's what I think. My biggest takeaway: somebody needs to either investigate the uh, trainer for Ohio State or give him the him or her the largest raise that's ever been given to a trainer in collegiate sports history. Because <laughs> I thought Justin Fields was dead. I thought he was um, dead. I thought he was dead on the field. I thought whatever organs were on that side of his body were just like, you know what? We're done. We're good. Um, and instead he got back up and threw like four more touchdowns. I just, well, it's, it's crazy. Austin, let me, let me fill you in there. They didn't evaluate him. <laughs> that's, that, that's, that's what Justin Fields said. <sighs> they gave him two shots of what I would imagine was cortisone. Mm-hmm. trotted his ass back out there D- couldn't feel a thing which has allowed him to throw the ball 65 yards probably with broken ribs oh my god oh absolutely with broken ribs i i don't think anyone deserves a raise people need to that's like malpractice yeah. what they just, yeah, that, that should be he, they should be investigated i mean i completely agree it's just it's insane but listen credit where it's due they they played their asses off and they took it to a a good Clem, a really, really good Clemson team. Uh, you have to ask though, Dabo, Dabo Swinney only getting one championship out of Trevor Lawrence should should he be on the hot seat? <laughs> People are talking. People, uh, I'm just asking the questions. Alabama just machine like rolls over Notre Dame, and um, I mean Notre Dame weird situation for them. Like this is their ceiling. Yeah, I mean this is it. Like this is what this is what I was saying. I'm an Ian Book hater, but Ian Book is the reason why they couldn't win this game. It is make if they had no, come on. If they had Mac Jones, if they had Justin Fields, if they had Trevor Lawrence, this would. And first of all, let me acknowledge this final score does not tell the story of this game. Alabama won this game by 50, but it turned out to be 17. And Notre Dame scored at the very last second to even make it that close. I acknowledge all of that, but the reason that this is, and I'm not saying they could have won this game, even if they had any quarterback, but they're not going to realistically compete in the playoff until you have a big boy quarterback. Look at the other three names. You're talking about three easily, easily first round draft picks this year. And until you got one of those, don't even submit, like you don't want to go to the playoff unless you got one of those guys. You see it every single year. And that's why Notre Dame is not there. I think, though, Austin, my pushback wasn't against Ian Book, but rather Alabama also is just better at most of the other positions. I would agree with that as well. But, (laughs) I mean, listen, I'm just saying Notre Dame ceiling is until they get a true, you know, again, you want to hear the hate about the the stars. Listen, they matter whether you like it or not, Um, especially at the quarterback position. So until you got one of those – uh, listen, making the playoffs, hell of an accomplishment. Yeah. Hell of an accomplishment. You should be very, very proud of that. Hang the banner. But um, you've never beaten Bama without a real deal one. And that brings us to the national championship, John, where they will face a very real deal quarterback in Justin Fields. You know, the game that everyone, the game we deserve. And I hope it is as entertaining as the uh, beginning of Ohio State and Clemson. I you know, mm-hmm. Alabama and Ohio State, frankly, have kind of bad defenses, like, for them. I agree. And Especially I Ohio State. That's what I mean. Well, and Bama gave up 46 to Florida. Like, mm-hmm. Kyle Trask, like, Justin Fields is on the same level or better than him, you know? Definitely. 
So, so, I mean, like this has all the potential to be up and down and a ton of fun. And if, if I were, um, if, if I were uh, to watch this game on any broadcast, I'd watch the coaches one and, and I would probably uh, want to watch the one where wasn't, is there a team that's lost to both Ohio state and Bama this year? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. No. Remember when Narduzzi did that when we lost mm-hmm. to Ohio State and Oregon? And he was calling like every play before it was yep. happening. That was amazing. I do. The coaches, awesome. the coaches one is going to be hysterical because like <laughs> because also the coaches like generally are right on the play calls and stuff. But then you have people like Devontae Smith and Najee Harris and like you know right. uh, Chris uh, Ol- um, Olave, Olave who are just like better than schemes, right? And like this, they're like, just gonna, they're all gonna say this shouldn't work, but it's going to. Yeah, it's hilarious. So, okay, he, I, I highly recommend. Do you have a prediction for this game? I, I will never, ever, ever, ever pick against Alabama. Alabama is going to, Alabama is going to win this game um, because they're going to run the ball down Ohio State's throat. And, sure. and I just think that's what's going to happen. I found something out that blew my mind. This is how good Alabama running backs have been. Mm-hmm. Najee Harris is the all-time leading rusher at Alabama. And oh. I didn't even and it didn't he, he we've gotten so used to absolute yeah. freak shows playing running back for them. That's not okay. That it doesn't matter that this dude is probably the best. I mean, we're talking Derrick Henry, we're talking Mark Ingram, we're talking uh well, Trent Richardson was really good in college. Uh Eddie Lacy. I mean, phenomenal running backs. And Najee Harris is better than literally all of them. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say that Alabama's going to win this game. Well, Vegas is predicting a 41 to 34 final for Bama, and that would sounds like that. a delightful game. Yeah, I'm in. I'll, I'll say it. I'm very I'm in. in too. Awesome. Well, John, I think that does it. Happy 2021. Glad to be here. Yeah. Let's get Let's a couple thoughts this week. Listen, I'm in. Don't don't twist my arm. Don't challenge me with a good time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, guys, as always, um, thanks for sticking with us. Happy New Year. And we will catch you guys next time. See you.